Morena. Great to be back um, with you all at the at summit and particularly excited about this series that um, we're working through. Um, and so this morning I'm looking at this character trait, our God is unhurried. And um, I was just saying to Bryn before, I'm really glad I'm not preaching on the text which talks about God wanting to kill Moses and his wife rescuing him. Um, that's for somebody else. <laughs> so I get to talk about Exodus chapter 2. So if you have a Bible with you this morning or you want to um, lean over um, to your neighbor's um, Bible or their iPhone app, Exodus chapter 2, and we are reading from... That's right, I have to uh, multitask. Exodus chapter 2, reading from verse 11 um, to 25 this morning. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them hard at labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. What Pharaoh heard, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, well, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Royal asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? And invite him to have something to eat with us. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out, and they cried out to God for help because of their slavery. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Earlier this week, I... Uh, decided I would show my children the Steve Jobs um, Stanford University graduation speech. I'm not sure, have you, has anyone ever watched this on YouTube or know of the speech? It's actually quite a good speech, except for the first part, because I'm, I'm showing my kids and I've got Connor who's a, who's a teenager and Charlotte's 11 and Thomas is 7 and I thought, moment, some, some time for some inspiration. We're watching the speech. The first thing he talks about, of course, is the fact that he dropped out of college and I said, okay, we'll just, we'll just push, that, push that part. <laughs> to one side, but there's a moment during his speech, and it's become um, quite a well-known kind of theme that Steve Jobs has talked about on other occasions. There are other clips on YouTube about this, but he talks about connecting the dots, and he says that we can only really make sense of our lives by looking backwards, that most of our lives, we, we live life kind of moving forward, we make decisions, and then it's only when we look back that we can see how those decisions kind of 
maybe fit into some overarching plan or purpose. He says that we find meaning for our lives, we find purpose in our lives only by looking back and connecting the dots. And I'm going to steal that idea of connecting the dots. The reality is most of the great sermons are stolen. Um, And I'm going to steal the idea and say to you this morning that actually that's very much how we try and as Christians find God and kind of discern God's work in our own lives, right? We, We look back. We look back over our lives and try and connect the dots. We look at those decisions and those relationships and those moments in time. And when we look back and we connect the dots, then we realize that God was faithful. And that helps us, gives us courage as we like move forward. So this morning we're looking at some dots in Moses' lives. And at the, on the face of it, it looks like a bunch of random dots, just a bunch of random events. But when we look back and we start to connect the dots, we realize that God was work at work all along. So there are four parts. Um, oh, that's my connect the dots slide. <sighs> I cannot multitask. This is going to be difficult. Four events. There was the fight. So he basically beats up one of Pharaoh's workers. Obviously, Pharaoh wasn't concerned for the health and safety of his workers. Just thinking about the the legislation that would have been in place in Egypt at the time. Then there was the flight to Midian. The flight to Midian. So he gets to Midian, and he sits at the well, and the priest's daughters, the priest of Midian, he's got seven daughters, and they're at the well, and of course, these shepherds decide to stir things up, and they get into another stoush, and Moses has another fight, and then he gets married, and maybe there's some more fights. Um, maybe, hopefully, not too many. Um, but let's be honest, marriage has its challenges. Um, so, fight, flight, fight, married, and some arguments. Um, and meanwhile, so these are, the, these, are the, these are the seemingly random dots in Moses' life. He has this fight, he takes off, and he has another fight, and then he gets married, and that's the end of the text. But actually, right at the end of the text is this little piece where it says, during the long period, the king of Egypt died, and when he died, the Israelites continued to groan in their slavery, and they were crying out to God for help, for God to intervene. And so... The big question that I want to talk about this morning, or three questions actually, but the first one is, why didn't God intervene in that fight? Why didn't God intervene in that fight? God saw Moses punch a man, God saw the Moses kill a man, but why didn't God intervene? And that's a question a lot of people ask today. They look at the world around them and ask that fundamental question, why doesn't God intervene? Why didn't God intervene in the fight? Did God not realize that a man was about to be killed that moment? Why does God seem so unhurried to intervene is the second question. So if God does intervene, and when he intervenes, why does he seem so unhurried? And the third question is, how do we connect the dots? How do we discern God's work um, in our lives? How do we discern God at work in a particular situation? How do we connect the dots? So I'm going to look at these questions this morning in the context of answering this, or, or looking at this character trait, why is he the unhurried God? Um, none of my, okay. The first point is, why is he unhurried? Well, firstly, God sees the big picture. God sees the big picture. God doesn't break up the fight. God doesn't intervene. And maybe it's because he sees the big picture. You see, we see life in the present moment. I mean, Moses sees one of Pharaoh's workers beating up one of the Hebrew slaves. And in that moment, he has a brain explosion and he beats him up. Moses sees 
just in that present moment, but God actually sees one day the entire people of Israel being liberated from Egypt and, and leaving Egypt and moving out towards the promised land. God sees the beginning from the end. He sees the big picture. And that's the beautiful thing about God. We see a present moment. God sees the beginning from the end. Moses sees the present moment, but God sees the future. God sees the entire people of Israel being liberated. Moses just sees one person beating up another. There's a great passage of scripture in Luke chapter 5. There's this story where Jesus is wandering along the shore. And Simon Peter and his friends, we know the story well. They've been washing their nets. They've been working hard all night. They haven't caught anything. But Jesus wanders along. And he said, if you jump in your boat just one more time and you put out the nets, you'll catch heaps of fish. And they say, but Jesus, we've worked hard all night. Why would we want to jump back in the boat and put out our nets again? But Jesus said, trust me, if you put out the nets, you'll catch heaps of fish. This is the point. Jesus can see underwater. Jesus can see underwater. God can see our future. We only see that moment in time. We say to Jesus, we say to God, God, I've tried. And then Jesus says, but trust me, just trust me this one more time. Try one more time. I've got this. I can see the future. I was fishing with my brother in Pai here um, a month ago, and he's one of those kind of hunter-fisherman-type males, and I'm not really. I'm just sitting there fishing, and I caught a heap of fish. But I did think to myself about Luke chapter 5. I was watching his fish finder and all these fish, like, going across, and I was thinking, Jesus is a much better fish finder. Um, LAUGHTER Because Jesus can see underwater. God can see the future. God sees the big picture. God is like this master chess player. The great chess players, they're always not just one step ahead, they're multiple steps ahead. See, God sees checkmate. We see the move. We look at our lives this week, and we look at what's happening on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. We just look at our present situation, but God sees the future. He has one step, two steps, three steps ahead. He sees the overarching plan. He sees the checkmate. And we are lost in that one decision, but God sees beyond. And that, why? Because God exists outside our time dimension. He's not a created being. Isn't it beautiful how the Bible says he's the alpha and the omega? He is not a created being. He lives outside our time, time dimension, and therefore he can see the beginning and the end. And that's why we can trust him. God sees the big picture. He's not a created being. You know, there's another passage in the Gospels um, in John chapter 11. Lazarus, Lazarus is sick in John chapter 11. And and Martha and Mary are really sad about the fact that their their brother Lazarus is sick. And so they sent word to Jesus. And you know what it says in John chapter 11, verse 6? It says this. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And everyone asked the question, but Jesus, why would you stay where you are two more days? Why, Jesus, are you so unhurried? And it says here in the scripture, John chapter 11, verse 17, Martha came out to meet Jesus because Jesus eventually arrived in Bethany. And he said, as she said, Jesus, you know, we told you that Lazarus was sick. And we told you he was sick. He was only sick, but now he's dead. And says that fundamental question, Jesus, if you had come when he was sick, maybe he would have, you could have healed him and he wouldn't be dead now. And that's a big question that we often ask. Jesus, if you had just not stayed where you were. And then the response of Jesus is beautiful because in John 11, it says that um, John chapter 11, verse 
verse 7, it says, I'd like to actually just read it because it's much. And yet, it says, verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And even so, when, Laz- when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days before he finally said to his disciples, let us go and see Lazarus. Why? Because God sees the big picture. Jesus had something bigger in mind at work, God's glory, which is hard for us human beings to really comprehend. But Jesus has this bigger picture at work. I bought my son Thomas the other day, we bought this um, big jigsaw puzzle, solar, solar system puzzle. It was only 500 pieces, and they're quite big pieces, and I thought it should be easy, but yeah. Um, and we're working on the puzzle, and it just, you know, as I'm working around the puzzle pieces, and I'm trying to explain to him, because it's got all the planets, right, and you're trying to work out Earth and Saturn and all this, but you constantly have to go back to the picture on the box to try and work it out, right? And that's the beautiful thing about God. God sees the picture on the box. We just see life as this jumble of pieces, but the reason we can trust God is he sees that big picture on the box. And sometimes, even though God is unhurried, it's because he sees the big picture. Um... The second reason why he is unhurried is because God works with our decisions. Crazy as it might seem. I must confess, I relate to Moses, right? So Moses, there's a beautiful verse there, verse 12. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was looking, he hadn't looked up because God was watching. He didn't look up and God sees all the decisions we make. And the beautiful thing about God is he uses our decisions for his purposes. He takes our decisions and he weaves them into his overarching plan. No decision is beyond God's redemption. There's good decisions, bad decisions and ugly decisions and God can take all of that and weave that in somehow into his master plan, his overarching beautiful plan. I played my trumpet in a lot of orchestras growing up, in concert bands. Now, when you play in an orchestra or in a concert band, you have a score, you have a set piece, and you sit there and you watch the conductor and the conductor brings you in and you play your piece. It's very rigid, very controlled. I've also played in jazz bands. Now, in a jazz band, it's just everyone for themselves. Um, You have a basic score and you kind of have a a bit of a rhythm, but there's a lot of improvisation. And so what happens is the drummer will keep playing for a while and um, the percussion will keep the rhythm going and then suddenly the saxophone will, will launch in, right, and have an awesome ad-lib type improvisation ad-lib where they, they just go off and, 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 somehow, and somehow the jazz band leader brings them back and it, and it just makes, makes it work. It's beautiful. And, uh, or, or the trumpet will go off and, and do their thing. And sometimes when I was in orchestra, I just wanted to go off and play my solo and do my thing and just bring, back, bring it all back to me. Um, and glorifying me. But, um, so jazz bands was way better for my ego, I found. Because um, you get to play solos. And, um, but here's the thing, God is less like an orchestra conductor and more like a jazz band leader. You see, we have all our moments in life where we improvise. We have to make decisions, don't we? I mean, if we, we need to make decisions, we have to keep life moving. And sometimes we make good decisions, sometimes bad decisions, and sometimes ugly decisions, but God in his grace takes all of our decisions, he takes all of our moments when we improvise, and brings them into his overarching plan. And so God takes Moses' decision to beat up the Egyptian and run off to Midian, and he uses that 
in his great big overarching plan. You know the verse, you know the first, when I read this passage, and I read this passage lots, and I've preached on Exodus lots, but I have never, ever known, never realized where it says, that first verse, it says, when Moses had grown up, had he really grown up? I mean, you have a brain explosion, mate. You'd have to beat someone up and then bury them in the sand. Like, really, it's not like, I mean, if you had a youth group beach dig, um, <laughs> like, what were you thinking? And do you know what? God is, unhur- God is an unhurried God because he uses our decisions. Why? Because he's more interested in our spiritual maturity. God is more interested in us growing up than anything else. He wants us to become more like his son, Jesus. And, and Moses might have grown up in a physical sense, but I want to suggest this morning he hadn't grown up lots in terms of his spiritual maturity. My son is here this morning, teenage boy, and I love Connor very much. But I must say that when I went to a, a seminar and I learned that the reason teenagers struggle to make well, like rational, good decisions is because their frontal lobe hasn't fully, fully formed. So as a parent, I try to remember that every day. I go back to frontal lobe. The word frontal lobe is at the front of my mind every day as a parent. <laughs> Praying for grace. And I love my son dearly, and I take a bullet for him. I mean, my wife says to me, someone, I'll, I think that your frontal lobe hasn't fully developed. <laughs> the beautiful thing is, God is like a patient parent, not like me. I'm more impatient, but God is uh, trying, trying for more patience, praying for more patience, but God uses our decisions, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Can I say this morning, no decision is beyond God's redemption. I mean, I went to Israel last year, traveling through the wilderness, and I got to Beersheba. And just outside Beersheba is where archaeologists think is a place called Kadesh Barnea. And Kadesh Barnea is just on the edge of the promised land. It's on the edge of the promised land. And do you know how long the Israelites camped there? Almost 40 years. On the edge of the promised land because they sent their two scouts in to check it out and they said, well, there's giants in the land, so we're just gonna, what we'll do is we'll camp on the edge. Because scholars talk about the Israelites wandering through the wilderness and they did wander, but there is a, there's a strong, there is some, they probably camped a, a lot of those years at least at Kadesh Barnea, right on the edge of the promised land. Why? Because of fear. Because of fear of who was living in the promised land at the time. Caleb says, let's go in. The others say, no, we won't go in. And do you know what? God doesn't force them into the promised land. Instead, God works with their decision. Their decision was a bad decision. There were consequences for their decision, right? Moses was not able to go in with them into the promised land in the end. And God used Joshua to ultimately lead them in. And a whole generation of Israelites die who don't make it into the promised land. So there were consequences for the decision. But still God, what I find fascinating is God doesn't force them into the promised land, even though they're at Kadesh Barnea. And let me say it is barren. There is nothing happening there. It is extremely barren. And if I was them, I would be freaked out too. And I'd be living in fear. So I don't want to judge the people of Israel at this moment. But they camped there for so many years living in fear and still God didn't force them in. Instead, God used that. God had to take their decision. He took their improvisation, if you like, and melded it into his big plan. Because God is interested in us growing up spiritually. Spiritual maturity, I think, is well defined in Luke 2.52, where it says, Jesus grew in stature, in favor with God and favor with man.
That's spiritual maturity, and God wants us to, I think spiritual maturity is ultimately, as we grow up, we learn to trust God more. Because we're all at different stages of how much we really trust God. We say from the front we trust God, but the reality and truth is, we actually are at different stages in how much we really trust God. In two weeks, I'm leaving the firm that I'm currently working in as a partner. I resigned a few months ago. And you have those moments in time when you think, is this, is this a good decision? I have moments when I feel anxious about it or I feel fearful about it. I'm striking out on my own to set up my own practice with a team of people. But I've been, and when you try and make a decision in life, you try and discern God's will, right? You pray, you talk to your friends, close friends, and you talk to family, and you try and discern God's will. But at some moment, unless you get paralyzed in time and live with fear, you have to make the call. And you say, God, I don't know if this is the right decision. I'm, I think it is, and I'm going to go and do it. But God, would you, just, would, would you just connect the dots for me later on? When I look back, I'll see that you're faithful and that you'll improvise with this decision and you'll weld it and meld it into your big overarching plan. And that's what we're left with. We trust God, the great jazz band leader. And I actually have a whole slide on all of that. Thirdly, God uses community to shape us. God uses community. And so Moses escapes. He arrives in Midian. He ends up rescuing the priest of Midian's daughters. He marries Zipporah. The Exodus story is not a one-man show. In fact, as, you, as we walk through the book of Exodus, we realize that in a strange story, we know that Moses' wife rescues Moses. We know that Jethro in Exodus chapter 18 helps Moses with how he's managing things. He's struggling with a bit of burnout. And so in this text, we are introduced to some of the key people in Moses' life that will help him, that will, God is going to use these people that he's bringing into Moses' life to shape him into the kind of person God wants Moses to be. God uses Moses' wife, he uses Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, And she's not here today, but I'm going to say this on the front, and she doesn't really listen to my sermons online. But I do believe that God does speak through my wife. And, but that's not always, always easy, right? Because you think, ah, oh, you may be right, Lise, but no. And then I wander off stubbornly. <laughs> but when I reflect, I spend some time quietly just by myself, and I'm praying, and I'm just thanking God, and, and I feel a nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, you know, Lisa's right on that, Simon, and I'm, I'm speaking through her. Do you know, God speaks to us often through the, through, the, through the people he's put into our lives. We don't like that. We would rather go direct to God and hear it directly from him. But God uses community to shape us. God used Moses' father-in-law to shape him. He uses Moses' wife to shape him. And in this story, we're introduced to some of those characters. And sometimes God is the unhurried God because we don't listen to the people in our relational community. We don't discern God at work. We don't hear God at work in our relational community in relation to that situation. Which is difficult. There's a really good book worth, worth reading called Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. And it's by John... Ortberg, true character, true story, true book. Honestly, my lawyer, I tell the truth. And the, 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 um, the thing about in this book, uh, John Ortberg, he says that 
like, there is no such thing as normal, right? You, you think you're normal, but you're not normal. I'm not normal. We're all abnormal, slightly. And that's what makes living in community really hard. And on top of all that, God then uses people to shape us. God will speak to us through the people that he's placed in our lives, if we're listening to him. Sometimes God doesn't want us. God's not speaking through, you know, we have to discern. God's maybe not speaking through a particular person, and we have to discern God and try and say, God, is this you? You know, I'm trying to listen to my family member or this person who you've placed in my life who I've got this strong friendship or relationship with. Are you speaking to me through them, God? And sometimes he's the unhurried God. Why? Because he chooses to use our decisions, and so we go the long way around, like the people of Israel, and we wait for 40 years, and he seems unhurried. Well, that's just because God uses our decisions. And sometimes he's unhurried because he chooses to use community to shape us, and sometimes we're too stubborn to listen. Finally, we've been talking a lot about Moses and his journey, but you know, towards the end of the text, it says that the people of Israel were praying, calling out to God, saying, God, will you rescue us? And so I want to finish off this morning by talking about how do we connect the dots? How do we discern God's work at our, in our lives? Um, <clears throat> because we might be praying or believing for God to move in a particular situation, and we feel God is unhurried. We're like Martha or Mary who have sent word to Jesus and then Jesus stays where he is two more days. Can I say that the people of Israel, if you were in slavery and you were living in Egypt under severe oppression, you would start to be, you'd have to be honest and say, they'd have to be starting to think all sorts of things about who, who God really was. Who was Yahweh, really? I mean, here he is, has he abandoned us? We're here in Egypt. Yes, he was with our patriarchs. Yes, he made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but right now we're in Egypt and we're in slavery and there's no, I mean, there's no sense that this will ever stop. So can we trust you, God? God, are you there? Are you listening? Surely that must be what they were thinking. They were crying out to God. God, are you listening? What did they think about God? You know, um, it, it, there was a national prayer breakfast. They have a national prayer breakfast in Wellington, um, Wellington, Washington, every year. Um, and in one particular prayer breakfast in 2012, Eric Mixtars was the speaker. And he opened with this line in his speech at the prayer breakfast. He said, everything I rejected about God was not God. A.W. Tozer, in one of his classic books, wrote... What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How we see God will dictate how we see ourselves, we see our future, and we see our lives. So how, how do we see God? How do we think about who he is and his character when we're struggling with the fact that he seems unhurried? I think there's three mistakes that we can often make. How do we connect the dots here? The first is we think that unhurried does not, unhurried does not mean um, uncompassionate. The Bible says right there, that word remember, that God remembered his covenant. The word remember comes from the Hebrew zahar, and it means to bring to mind. He brought to mind his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, the covenant he made with the people of Israel 
I'm talking in particular about his covenant with Abraham at that moment. The covenant he made was about land, that one day they would live in Canaan and make their homes there and live there, blessed by God. But you know, the covenant he's made with us today as his followers is that we are his sons and daughters, that we inherit the promises from being in God's family, that we are sons and daughters of God. And those moments when we think God is not listening, God is listening, and he's remembering. And you know what? He, he brings to mind, he brings to mind the covenant, which is through the cross of Christ, that we are sons and daughters of God. The old covenant was about inheriting land. The new, inherit, the new covenant is about inheriting the promises we have through Christ. And um, the beautiful thing is that those moments when we think, God, are you listening? Are you listening? I believe that God can bring to mind the covenant he's made to us, that he will look after us as his sons and daughters in Christ. Second point is that unhurried does not mean inattentive. I love that how God is totally attentive to what's going on. You know, the people of Israel were praying for God to to do something to move. And it says here, unhurried does not mean inactive. They didn't realize that God was very active in Moses' life. He was shaping Moses, and he was helping join the dots. And when all is said and done, when we look back over our lives, when we connect the dots, if you like, we realize that unhurried doesn't mean uncompassionate. Unhurried doesn't mean God is inattentive or that he's inactive. He is active, even if we can't see him at work. And I want to finish this morning with one final slide. Because when we look back over our lives and we connect the dots, we realize that everything about God, when he calls to mind the covenant, it's not the covenant, the Old Testament, it's the new one, based on Christ and his beautiful work on the cross for us and his subsequent resurrection. And he calls that to mind and he remembers the promises he made to us, that the Bible says that we are his son, his daughter, that we are called into his family, and he's got this, he's looking after us. And we can trust in him. This morning, just to end off, I'm actually going to read a passage of scripture. And I just thought if, um, just to kind of, something to meditate on and to reflect on. And so perhaps, if you feel comfortable, just to, I guess just to close your eyes and reflect on how you see God this morning. And do you sometimes confuse unhurried with uncompassionate or unhurried with God is not active at all in my life or he's inattentive and I want to say this morning that he is unhurried it's because he sees the big picture and he's, he's at work, he's using our decisions and he's using community to shape us Romans Chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul writes, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, Father, this morning as we finish up this morning with, this, um, with your word, I just thank you, Father, that nothing in all creation will ever separate us from your love, Lord. It's a love that is tied back to the cross. And your, the beautiful covenant you established with us, that through faith in Christ, we are your sons and your daughters. We are in your family. And that you call to mind that covenant when you think of us. I just pray for all of us this morning, Lord, whatever journey we're on in terms of trusting you, I just pray that you'd help us to grow this year. May 2020 be a year where we grow in our trust of you, Lord. Not to take things into our own hands as much, but to spend more time just resting in you and trusting in you. Lord, it is difficult. Please help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.